Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. Fun Belt Podcast. It's just a, a great conference that is at a, at a point right now where they're, I think, clearly the best group of five conference in the country. The state of fun, Sun Belt football is the strongest in our history. Uh, and we've got to continue to showcase uh, what our league is about. My name's Jeremy Harper with Fun Belt Podcast. I'm also with HalRazor.com. With me, as always, is Ben Moore from PantherTalk.com and Dusty Thibodeau from War, uh, WarhawkReport.com. And before we get to our guest, before we talk about our guest, our special guest, I want to talk to you a little bit about what happened today. The Coaches Poll, USA Today. We've got three G5s in it. Two of them are Sun Belt. Is this good for the Sun Belt, or are preseason polls just absolute crap designed to keep the the man da- or keep us down? Yeah, I think it's a huge step, and I think it's a huge statement ultimately for the league. And then, you know, twenty twenty was such a huge year uh, for the Sun Belt, arguably the best ever, as we've talked about for a while. And I think it's one of those situations where. Um, it wasn't fleeting. It may not be fluky, but it also sets the bar for the league too, in a, in a major way. And, uh, you know, app States over there peaking, uh, you know, in the receiving votes category as well, which is, uh, which is intriguing to me. And as I, uh, was discussing with somebody earlier this week, uh, they have a little game with, uh, Miami in week two. And oh, by the way, uh, Miami opens up with Alabama here in Atlanta, uh, and we all know about the Bama effect. So App has a big opportunity. Coastal has an opportunity. And as we t- will discuss, I'm sure, uh, Louisiana has an opportunity with those Texas Longhorns. So, Dusty, you've heard what Ben had to say. Yeah, so I, I'm, I'm a guy literally straddling the fence that I've always thought the preseason polls are crap. It's really just a rehash of what did you do for me last year? But how great is it to have two, three in the top 30 Sunbelt Conference teams that are representing us all um, and, and really bringing exposure to the league. So I'm not a fan of the polls, but I definitely love this year's poll with having a good Sunbelt flavor in it. I hate the polls with a passion, but they give me something to talk about. So with that, I want to introduce our, our, our guest, Chris Vanini. He does a great job covering the group of five. And I would kind of like to know what he thought about today's uh, USA Today poll. Yeah, I mean, thanks for having me, guys. It, it's a big deal. This is the first time in the playoff era that there are three group of five teams in the top 25, uh, along with Cincinnati at number 10. And that that stuff matters. I mean, if you're Cincinnati trying to get to the playoff, if you're Louisiana Lafayette or Coastal Carolina trying to get that group of five spot, if Cincinnati falters, it matters to be there because most years there's one group of five team in the poll. And so you're always, so it's, it's impossible to make the playoff because you're always coming from behind and to start at a high level. Does it, does it matter? Does it affect play on the field? No, but it affects the perception of a team. And we all know there are plenty of voters who don't watch all the games or even pay attention. And they just see, Oh, a team won, So I'm just going to leave them in that same spot on the poll. And so if you're, if you're already starting in the top 25, going to get that treatment so every year there are more group of five teams 
in the poll at the end of the year than there are at the beginning of the year. So to start with three, especially two for the Sun Belt, I think is what is a a, a big positive. With that, with that said, though, of, of the G5 starting in the top 25, does it give more, I guess, weight to say if a Louisiana Lafayette loses to Arkansas State, if they lose to Texas State? Us in the conference, we would know, yeah, that's, you know, they got a pretty good thing going, a pretty good team. But on the outside, does it give it an even worse stank to it that, you know, oh, God, they lost to Arkansas State? Well, it depends who you lose to. If you lose to Texas State, yeah, that's going to hurt you. But, but if you lose to Appalachian State, it won't hurt you as much because App is a proven commodity and it, it'll make App look better. I mean, like last year, Coastal beats Louisiana when Louisiana was ranked. It helps Coastal get up. And Louisiana rises up as they keep winning because Coastal keeps winning as well. So it, it kind of depends who you lose to. I mean, if you lose to another good team in the conference, then it does – elevate your conference if you lose to a texas state then no it doesn't brought up some good points but one of the things that i noticed today after the poll was released mountain west is pissed off and do they have the right to be i mean they've got some they've got good teams and they're not in the top 25 at all i think the mountain west is going to have a very good year but i also understand them not being in the preseason top 25 i i mean Frankly, I'm really high on San Jose State more than I think a lot of people in the league are. They weren't even picked to win their division, even though they won the conference last year and bring back like 20 starters. So San Jose State will be a good team again, and they they play USC early in the season. I think we could certainly see several Mountain West teams ranked as the season goes on, but if you're starting at the preseason, you know, I would put Cincinnati, Louisiana, Coastal – ahead of them. Uh, I, I put, I, I would probably put San Jose state in the top 25, but you know, other than that, I think the other teams have to kind of prove themselves. I think Texas is starting in that top 25. Are, are they really deserving of that? You think, or, or do you feel that that's kind of a, because they're in the sec now, we, we as voters have to kind of boost them up and, and add credit to them getting that invitation to join the sec. No, I mean, they were a top 25 team under Tom Herman. They they just, they weren't a top 10 team, and that's why he got fired. So they're a good team. Bijan Robinson is going to be one of the best running backs in the country. They seem to really like the quarterbacks that they have there. They're, they're going to be a pretty good team. They're, like, Sark's not getting fired. I mean, Tom Herman's not getting fired for going three and seven. You know, they, they were winning eight, nine games a year. So they're, they're a good team. I, I don't think, I don't think the SEC stuff really had anything to do with it. No, I think just being Texas probably helps but I don't think any of the realignment stuff played a role. We're a couple of weeks removed from Sunbelt media days. The sec stills are thunder with the whole conference realignment. How do you see that kind of shaking out for like the Sunbelt? Do you think that they're going to go out and add maybe some conference USA teams? Do they raid the, the, the new guy on the block of the whack? Um, are they pulling from the Southland uh, at the FCS ranks? What, how do you see that kind of shaking out? I, I don't, they're not in a hurry to add anybody unless they bring an increase in television money per school. I mean, the American did not replace UConn because nobody was going to make their TV deal better. The Big 12 is not going to add anybody, most likely, unless any of those American teams add to their TV payout. So I don't know who would provide value and who wouldn't. Would, would, would a Marshall? Would a UAB help the Sun Belt? 
probably, but I don't know if those teams are in a position to just jump to another conference. Now, could Conference USA split? I mean, that's something that's kind of been talked about, but I, I think the Sun Belt's in a really safe spot. I don't think it's in danger of losing anybody to the American either, because the American, everybody in that conference has budgets of like $30 million plus while the Sunbelt doesn't really have that. They're not paying coaches that much money. There, there is a hierarchy within the group of five in terms of, of resources. So, you know, could, you know, UT Arlington be on the way out basketball wise, like, like maybe, but as it relates to football, they're in a pretty good spot. The Sunbelt is, and, and they're not in a hurry to do anything unless somebody can really provide them a boost, you know, mostly in TV money. Do you see it being a trade-off if there are additions of, Arkansas Little Rock and UTA are, are removed and then, you know, South Alabama and UAB are added to do that? Or do you think it goes to 14 teams even for basketball? You know, only really ESPN has the information on, on whether those teams would bring money to the league or not. I suspect somebody like BYU would. I don't know about South Alabama, but you're not chasing TV markets anymore. And I, I talked to Carl Benson uh, a couple weeks back about, kind of how a 16-team conference works, because that's what he did in the WAC. They had a 16-team conference that went from Hawaii to Texas, and they went for the media market. So when Conference USA raided the Sun Belt, grabbed you know FIU and FAU and North Texas and, and went for the TV markets, Carl realized that that's, that, that wasn't going to work long-term and that you wanted to get teams with, uh, with infrastructure, with sources, with a proven track record of success, and that's what they did with App State and Georgia Southern and Coastal Carolina. And it clearly worked out. Could James Madison be in that? Maybe they have a lot of money, but but it really is going to come down to is anybody going to provide you more TV money because that's what's driving everything. Well, you know, Ben Moore heard a rumor on the message boards. Ben, can you share this rumor with us? And gosh, Chris, can you confirm if it's true or not since you're so connected? I, I love the off season because of, uh, message board rumors and this fan talked to this guy and he, he is, he is sworn to secrecy, obviously, uh, but, but allegedly, supposedly, according to a Marshall fan, uh, one commissioner Gill had, uh, had pulled up to Marshall and was, uh, was, you know, checking things out. And what I, what I am uh, always fascinated by this, um, you know, in the world we live in, certainly coming off 2020, um, you can do this, some of the stuff virtually. So, so I, I don't, I don't see the olden days where, uh, you know, he's taking a tour of the Marshall facilities, but, um, but, but I'm with you, Chris, and then you may be able to confirm this or, uh, or discuss it. I know specifically in the Atlanta airport here, there's meeting rooms just for this and the SEC folks like to use this as well. So, um, but yeah, I mean, we, you, and it's funny, Chris, you talked about the TV markets. Here's the fun thing about the Sunbelt. They do not have a basketball contract deal at all. It right. doesn't exist um, with ESPN. Um, it's just football. The AAC does. The AAC has TV deals for both basketball and football. So big differentiator there uh, specifically. But, you know, you, you cover the entire group of five. We obviously are familiar with, with the, uh, the Sun Belt intimately. Uh, you know, what would a Marshall bring or, you know, the, t- the na- program that keeps rolling out there all the time is what is Liberty going to do? You know, what, what do you foresee like those guys? Does it make sense for the Sun Belt or, you know, should they shoot higher? And Chris, before you answer that, just just to let you know in full disclosure, the the source of of that uh, rumor was from a, a poster named uh, Min Bohr. So uh, he was very anonymous. We don't know who it is. But, yeah, we can't uh, confirm. Just to uh, give you a heads up. In secrecy. 
Uh, I, I do not know anything about Keith Gill traveling or not traveling to Marshall, but, but if you were to look at potential candidates to, to join the league, I mean, Marshall would be up there. UAB would be up there. Those are teams with strong athletic departments and, and, and resources. And then, I mean, Liberty's got all the money in the world, but nobody wants to touch them because of all the political, religious, political stuff that comes along with it. I mean, there are reports that they offer conference USA, like, was like $20 million to join the league. And, and they said, no, no. Um, conferences, president, presidents don't want to deal with that. Now, Jerry Falwell Jr. is no longer at the school. I can't speak to kind of the state of where things are there. But, I mean, you know, there have been, there's been talk about people in the Pac-12 concerned about Baylor and its uh, stance on L- LGBTQ issues as opposed to a TCU, which is less strict on that kind of stuff so that stuff matters Uh, liberty would bring incredible facilities and obviously they are a winning football and basketball uh, situation now again it would come down to money and and what that would look like and if people in the conference are willing to deal with what comes along with them And, and i'm not really sure how much has changed you know chris this is a good segue into something that you touched on in one of your articles. And I, I don't know if I agree with you or not, but I will tell you this. Perhaps the only way that this all makes sense is Conference USA Sunbelt Super League. Can that happen? Why don't you think it will happen? It has to happen, right? If the, if the SEC is going to do it, which you hate, by the way, I, saw, uh, I, I understand your point on that. Why can't we make this this deal happen? Why won't it happen? And what are your thoughts on that? The Conference USA Sunbelt merger or swap is not going to happen because there's no incentive for any of the Sunbelt teams to do it. The Sunbelt has a better TV deal. You know, there's nobody in the Sunbelt wants to leave for Conference USA. It's 10 football teams. It's a pretty tight footprint. It's not stretched out too far. Conference USA is the one that needs all the help. It has the, the worst TV deal. It has spanning three time zones which certainly frustrates a lot of members in the league but if you're the Sun Belt, you don't what are you getting out of that uh, i mean you'd be better off doing what you just said adding a couple just straight up adding a couple teams from conference usa as opposed to anybody wanting to leave the league the, the Sun Belt's in a much more stable position which is just like kind of ironic given it was conference usa that rated the Sun Belt 10 years ago so it, it's not happening because there's no incentive for anybody in the Sun Belt to do it I guess the, the only reason, Chris, that I, I, I can see it happening is only because it's the SEC pushing that super conference thing to happen. And they're really the only way people are going to survive, in my opinion, or maybe not even my opinion, maybe I'm just speculating, is that maybe super conferences are the way to go. Maybe this is the only way that a group of five set of schools can compete when the SEC is just gobbling up all the high-profile co- uh, programs. But, but it's, only, it's only gathering up those programs because they're bringing more money television-wise. Like, they're not adding Texas and Oklahoma just to get 16 teams. They're adding Texas and Oklahoma because they're going to bring a lot more money for everybody. And, again, the, could the Sun Belt choose to add some teams? Like, maybe. But they would have to get value out of that. You're not going to mix – you're not going to mix them together. I don't think the Sun Belt is going to be helped by adding an Old Dominion and a UTEP at the same time or something like that. Like that's <laughs> like when I talked to Mike Oresco, 
the commissioner of the American, he's like that, that report about with some report about the Americans thinking about adding all eight big 12 teams. It doesn't make any sense because you don't leave. That doesn't, that doesn't work. Also that would be, be, it would go the other way around, not that way. And, and the big 12 is not going to add East, East Carolina and Tulsa to its league. So like individual schools have individual value. And adding size for size doesn't work. That's why the WAC blew up. That's why there have been people who've talked about Conference USA potentially splitting at some point. Group of five conferences adding teams to add teams is not going to make a difference because if the Power Five or whoever is left is going to go make their Super League or make their mega conferences, you're getting left out either way. Do you think there is a potential for uh, and I, I have this question come up a lot with folks on, on social media. Do you think about teams like Louisiana Monroe that could potentially drop back down or there are teams in FCS that could jump up, you know, teams like North Dakota state, potentially uh, dusty has a love affair with Idaho and oh, God probably needs um some some help i think with that and his love for the kibbe dome and idaho in general but uh do, do you identify or do you look at that certainly over the next you know few years as you you know gaze in that athletic crystal ball that i know you guys have um you know where we can we can see uh you know who's dropping down who's who's pulling up or is just everyone's going to stay status quo and we stay at 130 in the fbs ranks you know i, I mean the, the president and ulm you know, made the point when they were starting the coaching search that that uh, they don't want to drop down to FCS, but it's something that everybody has to consider. And the problem is nobody wants to be the one to do it because nobody wants to bite the bullet and take the blame for it because you lose your job for that. And most athletic directors just want to raise some money and move on to a bigger job. That's what happened at, at Idaho. The president essentially got run out because he wanted to do this move. I mean, there were other issues and stuff like that, but it was a, it created a firestorm around them and, and nobody wants to go through that again. And it also doesn't really save you money in the short term because you're not going to get as much money for the guarantee games. Instead of getting 1.2 million, you're going to get 500,000 to go play an SEC team on the road or something like that. So you, you don't end up saving all that much money in the short term. Now, long-term, I think a lot of schools need to think about what they want athletics to be because a lot of them are spending at a rate that they cannot sustain. But again, it's everybody just in jobs for the short term. Hey, I want to build a new practice facility and that'll help me get a bigger job. And then I'm off and someone else can deal with, with these problems. Yeah. I wrote a story a couple of years ago about how I thought maybe ULM should consider what Idaho did. Now I kind of regret that because it looks like to me that ULM is actually trying to make a, a push. Finally, to, uh, I, yeah. I, I talked to a kid last recruiting cycle that went to was going to UMass, and he he said the same thing. I mean, the coaches up there were adamant that they were staying, they were staying, they were staying. They are not a factor up there at all. UMass know, at all, yeah. like they not an FBS school, so they they recruit Georgia hard. Um, they, they had some coaches that, that hit, you know, the Southeastern conference. And, and quite honestly, there were kids who used to say, man, there's more kids at their, you know, six, a and seven, a high school games than were at UMass games. And, and, and it was, it was astounding, you know, especially as the weather turns up there in Boston area, 
folks folks don't run and, and are not banging the drum for UMass football. And certainly we saw UConn's the same way. But you know, you know that's that's the the independent you know life or even life in the Northeast where pro sports dominate. And I mean, they they probably draw more for UMass hockey than they would for football in some days. Well, not to mention the weather sucks. Well, yeah, but you know what's funny? Exactly. You think of UConn and you think of UMass, and because of the strength of their basketball history, you kind of just assume Absolutely. that the, the yeah. school is, is, is in a position to play this great football, and then uh, it turns yeah. out that's just not the case. So, yeah. It's, it's what's going to happen, I think, with Kansas. I mean, look at Kansas. If, if the Big – whatever the Big 12 does, they're looking at it and going – we're a behemoth in basketball. And oh, by the way, Oklahoma and Texas play pretty good basketball too. But so this may cost them. They, they may look at it and say, why not go jump in the Big Ten? And how about Iowa State, where they're looking at they built their program to this point and they're going, Oh crap, uh, what just happened? You know, where, where, what do we do now? I mean, same Houston State, they just won the national championship in FCS in the spring, and their coach said he doesn't want to go to FBS because he wants to stay at FCS where you can play for a championship instead of just competing for a nothing bowl game. And so there's differing perspectives at the FCS level on, on what they want and what exactly they want athletics to be. I think the ultimate takeaway we can get from that, Chris, is Idaho doesn't belong in the Sun Belt. Am, am I right? Yeah, they were in the Sun Belt twice, weren't they? <laughs> yes. Because That's I, enough. I was, play, I, was, I, was, I was playing NCAA football 2005 this weekend. And I realized Idaho. I realized Idaho. Uh, I think Idaho and I think New Mexico State were were in the league uh, back then as well. So it's. I know they've had a couple cups of coffee together, uh-huh. um, and and it, there's a lot of hurt feelings at Idaho over yes. the drop down that a lot of people have not um, have not uh, gotten over. It, I guess to, to put it bluntly, um, but I think in the long run, it's probably better for them you know, to do that then because they had nowhere else to go. They were getting kicked out of the conference. Let's talk about the current situation with the Sun Belt right now. How do you see the Sun Belt shaking out this year? And do you have any sleeper teams that you think we should look out? It should be a really good year. Like I'm really interested to see Louisiana against Texas. I think Coastal will handle Kansas. The App State Miami game will be interesting. Those three teams obviously stand out. I mean, they've all got a lot of good, talented players. The only question, I think, is App State and how do they replace Zach Thomas? Is Bryce going to be the guy? Is They need to figure out whether they're going to be a quarterback because everywhere else, I think they're going to be pretty good. So then, you know, I, I think the, the Cajuns in the, what's it, the West Division shouldn't have much of a problem with anybody in the league I don't think I mean maybe South Alabama with Jake Bentley could be interesting you know Arkansas State's got Lane Hatcher but and Butch Jones added a bunch of transfers so we'll see how they look but they should be pretty safe in the west but then in the the east I mean Georgia State is definitely a team to watch I mean we're all going to focus on Coastal and App State but Georgia State you know was right in a lot of those games last year and and obviously brings a lot back. And, and if I was to pick a team outside of those three that everybody talks about, it would have to be Georgia state uh, as a potential sleeper, Georgia Southern. We'll see how they look without shot. Where it's a quarterback. It's been so long. Don't really know what to expect, but 
I mean, for a 10-team conference, um, it's a lot of good teams. Well, Ben Moore is just about to bust hearing about you endorsing Georgia State as the sleeper team in the East. Ben, do you have, like, anything to back up that assertion? Do you want to say anything that will convince Dusty and I that this – that, that this prediction from Chris is true. It's not just me. That's, that's the fun part. You, you get somebody who's a, who's a nationally recognized voice on the group of five. I saw the, the my question. Well, well here, here my question for Chris. Uh, is there any tradition that he's seen covering college football or being associated with college football that is more strange than what, what goes down at Georgia Southern and the baptism in that drainage ditch? Because that just happened two days ago, in case, you, in case you missed it on Twitter. If you're following Georgia Southern football, they baptized their seniors in beautiful Eagle Creek. Um, and we have plenty of jokes in Atlanta about that. But I just wanted to get your takeaway as somebody who covers. You're falling into a trap here, okay? So I want you to be very careful about how you answer this. Because Georgia Southern fans are really crazy. I, I did not see that. This is the first I am hearing of it. Uh, so I, I can't speak to the creek itself. I have not been to Statesboro. So yeah, I guess I can't, really, I, can't, I can't really say anything about it. Uh, I'm quite literally sending you the video now. So we'll, we'll, we'll have to get you on again uh, at a later date. We'll, we'll, we'll go over this. We, we, we like to talk about it, obviously, with the, uh, you know, the, 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 the diseases. And, you know, I, I just think that, you know, once you go through that, I, I think you're, you're pretty much covered against anything. I mean, it's, if you haven't, uh, you know, I just go back to like the Oregon trail games when I was in school, you know, like you died of dysentery. Like if you, if you make it on the other side of this Creek, um, I think you can fight off malaria and dysentery. Well, yeah. What's funny about that tradition too, Ben, is that, um, you know, San Marcos in Texas State has this beautiful river that you can get into. It looks so nice. And it, it, it's like, that seems like if anybody anybody deserves a baptism, it does, you, you should do it right there in San Marcos, not in Georgia State. In that. Got the bayous in Monroe? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. You know, I've never been to the bayous in Monroe, but I'm sure those are nice too. But then you, you get the, that creek in, in, at Georgia Southern and you're like, I, I don't see the love affair with that, but I'm sure it's very nice. I'm sure it's nice. Look, in, in all honesty, going to Georgia Southern for a game, I was impressed. Uh, yeah. The traditions, the the just everything had its own meaning there. It it really reminded me of a big school like a Texas A&M, an Auburn, anything like that. Yes, smaller statue. Everyone's going to be saying, oh, they're on the same levels. No, that's not what I said. <laughs> but just that, you know, they all have their own rituals, their own meanings, their own traditions. It's great to see that, knowing that at ULM, there's not much athletic tradition there. Whenever the mascot change happened, it really killed a lot of what the traditions and things were that now – maybe that's what kind of adds to their woes of athletics is, is kind of the identity crisis. What, what do we do? I mean, nothing else, nothing else, nothing creates traditions more than winning and Georgia Southern from pretty early in its history started winning. And so once they did that, they got people on board and you create the traditions and you go from there. And obviously ULM doesn't have much of a history of winning since they moved up to, to one a, 
um, and you kind of lose a generation, you know, when you struggle for so long, essentially. Chris, are there any, in week one, are there any group of five games, including those in the Sun Belt, that you're really keeping an eye on? I don't have the schedule in front of me. Is Texas-Louisiana week one? I think it is, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think I think it's the first game. So that that's I mean that's one of the games I'm looking forward to as much as any game. Period. I mean, other than Georgia Clemson, I, I mean that. But now we know it's officially a top twenty-five matchup between a veteran Louisiana Lafayette team against a Texas team with a new coach and a new system. Um, I think Texas is like a three touchdown favorite or something like that. I last I looked like a month or so ago. I don't know. I I mean. The Cajuns went to Ames and beat Iowa State, which won the Fiesta Bowl last year. I'm, I'm not if, – if they can digits, find the a way. couple – yeah, by 17 points. If, if they can find a couple of running backs, um, I, I would certainly give Louisiana a shot. What do you think it takes for Billy Napier to actually leave the Cajuns? I mean, yes, as, as a non-Lafayette fan, I'm definitely cheering for his departure and their demise. But in, in, in all honesty, I mean, he is a – great great football coach there that has really gotten that program to the next level just finding the right place and the, the right ad who understands what he does and how he does it what he's done there in a couple of years is remarkable and they've done a good job of backing it up where now he makes two million dollars and nobody no other coach in the conference even makes a million so th- they're investing to keep him knowing that at some point he's probably going to go but you know, if he has another big year, which they should, you would think everybody in the SEC will understand it, that whatever reservations you may have about him for whatever reason, I, I, I don't know. Uh, but it's pretty clear what he's done on the field at Louisiana, coupled with working for Davos, Sweeney, working for Nick Saban. You can't get a resume that's much better than that. Yeah, I just don't think the right job was out there. I mean, do you really want to take a Tennessee job that has all of the on-field, off-field issues. You got to play Alabama every year. You got to play Florida well, I think every take, year. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean, you're setting yourself up for a failure to take that. Yes, it's a big name, big SEC job, but I think he was smart for for turning it down and, and uh, returning back. I mean, you look at the jobs he's been in the mix for. I mean, Mississippi State, tough job. South Carolina, tough job. Uh, Tennessee, there's a reason I hired Josh Heupel because nobody else wanted that job because they're all scared of the NCAA violations that are coming down there. So, you know, he could probably do, he can do better than those jobs. Now is an SEC school going to be okay with hiring a Sunbelt coach to a, to a big, big time job like, like a like an Auburn when that was open or a Florida, I, I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a harder sell, but the dude wins and he's been a coach. I mean, his family is coaches, and, and you can clearly see what he's built there. Is and 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 calling the plays. He's a very smart guy. He's a he's a he's a former number one recruiter in the country, and he's calling the offensive plays. Like the guy does everything. So I I mean he's got quite a track record so yeah if, if you're a bigger SEC school you should certainly be taking a look at Billy Napier because you know of, of what he's done what about what do you think well at, at Coastal yeah, Jimmy Chadwell. yeah. Do, do you feel that last year really made the name for him or do you feel that he still has some more proving to do before he's in the those same conversations 
he's got to do it for more than one year. And I mean, I think they will, I think they will be a really good team this year now that they have everything in place, but you know, to go five and seven, five and seven, and then 11 and one, you're not going to get an SEC job out of something like that. I think that would have been a, honestly, I think that would have been a great hire for Tennessee. The dude named his kid after Heath Schuler. He's from Tennessee. Uh, he was the lowest paid head coach in the country last year. I think he would have been a great fit for Tennessee. Um, but since obviously Tennessee is full now, um, depends on what comes open. But, you know, you get another year like they did last year, another one or two, with the fun kind of offense they play, I, I think I think everybody else will kind of wake up to that. Well, Tennessee isn't beachfront property. So, uh, I, you know, I can see where Chad Will would be like, I'm just going to stay here and enjoy myself at at, a, at a coastal Carolina. Uh, how about any other, do you see any of the other coaches uh, reaching that kind of acclaim that Chadwell and Billy Napier have? I know that Georgia State has a great uh, 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 coach in, um, oh God, suddenly the name escapes me, Ben, help me. Sean Elliott. Yeah, Sean Elliott. Yes, yes. And then we have, uh, Spavadol in Texas State. Who else do you think could 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 really uh, start seeing their stock rise? Well, you you got to put together a a ten win conference championship type of season. I mean, that's the only way you get noticed in pretty much any Group of Five job. I mean, it's it's good to win seven eight games a year and do that consistently. But you know, Skip Holtz is still Louisiana Tech. You know, he, he hasn't had that breakthrough 11 win season where people wanted to give him a chance at a power five job. So um, could, I mean, I said Georgia State was a sleeper. Could, could, could if Georgia State has a big 11 and one season, a lot more people are going to take notice of, of Sean Elliott. So it's kind of that situation. I don't really see anybody in the Sun Belt doing that this year outside of the, the three that we already know between Sean Clark, Billy Napier, and, and Jamie Chadwell. Um, so in terms of future coaching carousel, you know, I'm sure Butch Jones would love to get back into the SEC if he has a big year, uh, but we got to see it first. Yeah. I, I honestly, Chris, I don't know Butch Jones after that time he had in Tennessee, he might be like done with the SEC. He might have to move out to the PAC 12 where it's a little more chill, but he just yeah, likes yeah. Dairy Queen there in Jonesboro. He does. I, I I just hope that he gets the 10 wins and then he moves on and enjoys his life. That would be great. <laughs> so, Chris, something that kind of came out midday, late in the day, that uh, I saw you uh, going back and forth on Twitter a little bit about this whole NCAA Constitutional Committee. Is, mm-hmm. is this the NCAA basically crying uncle and trying to reinvent themselves so they're relevant or, or what, what's kind of your take on this new committee that's in the process of being formed? Well, the belief is this is going to be how the conferences, especially the power five conferences kind of take more power and do what they want to do. Um, but there are only five, I think direct five of the 23 directly come from the power five. Uh, and only one from the SEC. So we'll, we'll have to see. But, like, I, I talk to people who are like, they think, you know, this was the SEC's plan all along. You get Texas and Oklahoma. The NCAA is going to reinvent itself. You can take more power to do what you want, whether that's more scholarships, whether that's bowl requirement, bowl win requirements, whether that's um, further compensation of players. The, the NCAA is essentially trying to give up some of its power. And this committee is going to determine exactly what and how 
Now, it's full of people at the D3 and D2 level, which was the SEC's whole complaint that they had to abide by the same rules as Binghamton and these conferences that aren't facing the same problems the SEC is. So uh, my, my take from it is that you're going to see, I think, a lot of jockeying from the from the big conferences, especially the Division One people on that committee to basically say, let us kind of do a bit more of what we want. And, and I don't know what those proposals are going to look like in November, but that's essentially what it is. I mean, they, they want to decentralize the NCAA a bit and not have the league control so many things. Um, does, does football become its own separate entity? You know, that's something that the Knight Commission recommended. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of possible changes that could come. This is going to be a big deal come November. And I think people are just going to kind of not think about it until we see some of these proposals drop. Because you could see a radical overhaul of college sports and especially college football, you know, come the end of the year. Do, do you think that it, it furthers that divide, so to say, between the D1, D2, D3? Yes, especially especially D1 and everybody else, especially FBS and everybody else. I think that's largely the purpose of this, to let those conferences and schools that have all the money basically do more stuff with that money without having to deal with the NCAA on, on certain things. Maybe it, maybe they are allowed to make their own rules on the number of coaches you can have and, and, and stuff like this. I, I think there are a lot of things that programs like that would like to, to be able to do on their own, and that's what this is going to kind of determine. Hey, Chris, you know, we've had, uh, you know, here in Arkansas, we've had seen a lot of University of Arkansas uh, student athletes receive NIL compensation, but we're not seeing a whole lot of action amongst the group of five teams. Do you think NIL is good for the group of five, or, or what do you think, or do you think that some programs will work out better than others in that? It, it, it's going to depend on, on the place. Honestly, what makes the NIL most valuable is just how passionate of a fan base you have. If you have a lot of fans who are really interested in your program, in, in, then there's going to be more opportunities. I mean, you're seeing what UCF is doing. They've had a lot of people you know, get stuff because UCF's a big deal in Orlando. The Alabama quarterback is getting – Bryce Young is getting a million dollars in endorsements without playing a snap because he's the Alabama quarterback and Alabama is a brand that people want to be associated with. So if, if you're a group of five school that has that, then that's a good thing. Uh, it, it, it's, just, it's really going to depend place by place. As, as it relates to recruiting, you know, power five kids, power five is typically getting every recruit over a group of five school as it is. Um, so I don't know, it's going to make that much of a difference in a recruiting in the end. I think the teams that have, the most passionate fans and, and, and the largest fan bases are going to get the most recruits. And that's how it's kind of always been. Yeah. You know what uh, I've always, you know, I look at through a marketing lens too. It seems like it's all regional. I mean, even if, right. if you, you, even if you're Alabama, you know, you gotta be careful because you've got Auburn fans too. So if you're a bank in Alabama, you have to be careful about how you parse that. So uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not sure how that NIL situation shakes out. There seems to be a lot of activity now. I don't know how it's going to be next year. So, Chris, also with, with kind of the shift of power, so to say, it's always, I guess, the, the big thing, you know, when you get to play your, your flagship school of your state, 
to kind of show them, hey, we might be the smaller school, but, you know, we still belong. We can compete. It's even better when you can get those schools on your campus. And several of the big games coming up, uh, Arizona State's going to travel to Texas State. Uh, Ole Miss goes to South Alabama. Arkansas State hosts Iowa State and so forth. Do you think those games kind of go by the wayside, at least where they travel to the smaller schools? Um, it depends on the schools. I, I mean, some have often done it and some haven't. I mean, for Florida didn't play East, Florida didn't play outside the Eastern time zone for like two, for like 30 years in a, in a non-conference game. But Missouri and Oklahoma State, they traveled, they traveled to Central Michigan and Toledo and all these places. So it kind of just depends on the philosophy of the place and the AD and the coach and what they want to do. Um, I, I think you know you need to get better games on your schedule. You can't just schedule a bunch of FCS blowouts. That's not going to get fans in the stands. So if you can get a two-for-one with a pretty good G5 team you think will draw well, uh, then then you do that. Um, frankly, I, I just I love and respect the hell out of any Power 5 team that goes and plays at a group of five school because, honestly, they probably don't need to. But I think, I think they, in the end they, they see value in it. Um, even if it's not straight financial. I feel like we squeezed every ounce of information we could possibly squeeze <laughs> out of Chris Vanilli. Uh, Vanini. Oh, God. Vanilli. Oh, my God. That was Chris amazing. Vanini. Millie Vanilli just, just kind of morphed there. <laughs> that was they, amazing. Uh, I'll remember that. But I do encourage should promote the athletic and tell them, hey, you know, Chris wants to remain employed. So go subscribe. Yes, go subscribe to The Athletic, not The Atlantic. That's another magazine. Subscribe to The Athletic. Not the same thing. Very well written. It's very well done. And it's really treated the group of five in a good way. And we really do appreciate that. Chris, is there anything that you'd like to to plug while you're here? I mean, we, we got a ton of preseason stuff coming on The Athletic in the month of August. All kinds of features. Uh, conference previews are going to start running next week. Uh, later half of next week i'll have a sunbelt preview on there um and and i'll i'll have my uh 130 ranking of of every team coming in a couple weeks too so we're ramping you know we've been talking about realignment and all kinds of stuff for a while now but the actual football is here and we're gonna have plenty of stuff on that uh, as august goes on on the athletic uh, so i hope you guys check that out and thank you very much chris we really appreciate it